Sales Tuners, Episode 51, Mike Julian, Key Account Executive at Vidyard. And you can start to find commonalities. Then you can start to build friendships. And, and then you're not talking about a short-term objective. I want to sell to this company versus I want to build relationships that can carry me through my career. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Ralph Waldo Emerson, who said, treat a man as he is, and he will remain as he is. Treat a man as he could be, and he will become what he should be. Joining me today is Mike Julian, Key Account Executive at Vidyard, a video platform for marketing and sales. Mike's story is a bit unique. Unable to land a job in the aftermath of the economic downturn in 2008, he reached out to a mentor and got the advice to move to Asia where most people would have said, no way. Mike quickly said goodbye to friends and family and found his way onto an airplane headed to Singapore, where he ultimately spent five years at Oracle selling into Asia-Pac. Ironically, the job he had prior to heading to the Far East was actually driving a rickshaw in Boston. Before we dive in, I have to share some five-star iTunes review love to Joel Smith, who said, I look forward to each new episode. We've been focused on operationalizing our sales for the past year, and this podcast has been a goldmine for insights, ideas, war stories, and cautionary tales. Most importantly, it has sparked ongoing dialogue between my partner and I since we started listening. Joel, I appreciate you, man. Your next sales book is on me. Shoot me an email, and I'll get you the book of your choice. All right, make sure you stick around until the end, where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 51. But now let's get to the conversation where Mike tells me how he once made his wife cry during a game of Monopoly. She had landed on two properties in a row. And I remember uh, I had hotels on these properties. She was going to be out of the game. So I tried to make her a proposal that would keep her in the game. It was a good proposal. And she took way too long to consider it. So I, I kept like re- repealing things back from the proposal and saying like, you have 10 seconds, nine, eight, seven, six. And eventually she just exploded in tears because I was putting way too much pressure. Think of like a salesperson trying to bat down a customer over and over and over again. And she, uh, she certainly did not like that. And funny story about that as well, her father also made her mom flip the board oh in a, another Monopoly game. So that's uh, definitely Monopoly is, is like banned in my family, extended family, uh, no more. So there's no Thanksgiving Monopoly challenges uh, in the Julian household? No, we stick to uh, <laughs> other games, I would suppose. <laughs> Man, I love it. And we're going to have to play one day. Uh, I got some great stories for you there. Help me understand this move to Asia. I could totally see Europe or another English-speaking country, but again, you just completely uprooted everything you know uh, culturally. Help me understand that. 
I just graduated from Bowdoin College. It was uh, an awesome experience. I'm supposed to be doing something more than this. And uh, really, I didn't know better. You, you know what you know, and you, you don't know what you don't know. And so just having the opportunity of saying, hey, uh, there's going to be an internship here, a job where you can learn skills, uh, you know, fly out. And if it doesn't work out, you're going to fly back. I thought, well, I've never been ab- abroad to this, uh, this part of the world. And if I go, at least I have that life experience. Life experience always trumps uh, learning about something. So I th- really thought I have nothing to lose. When you got nothing, you got nothing to lose. And uh, it was an easy decision in, in that respect. I didn't know anyone, so I thought it was low risk. And it, when you take these risks, that's when good things happen. And I think I was rewarded with this career because I had the foresight to take the risk. Real quick, tell me about your sales process today. You know, what is Vidyard and why does a typical customer buy from you? Typically, when I speak to customers, uh, I'm speaking to marketing and sales professionals, and they're really focused on things like getting more leads, uh, trying to optimize content across different channels, and they really have a challenge understanding what's going on with their video content and how do they connect that to revenue. From a sales perspective as well, they're uh, having trouble breaking through the noise. You're, you're trying to make cold calls all day and uh, you know the same people are being inundated with calls. At the same time, email boxes are getting cluttered. And really what Vidyard is, is a solution that allows marketers to uh, plan their video assets, track and analyze everything that's happening, who's viewing it for how long, uh, use interactivities with call to action and drive that viewing data individually back into CRM and marketing systems so marketers can drive leads to the sales staff. And then as a sales staff, they can take the same video technology and do their outreach, do their cadence. They can accelerate sales cycles. They can uh, walk through complex topics with, uh, with uh, a little bit of a context. Um, maybe it's a proposal. Maybe it's a solution. And it's really adding a paradigm that doesn't exist with the tra- traditional written communication. It's a lot of moving parts, uh, but that's what makes sales exciting. It's the opportunity to learn every day. Uh, that's why I'm still in sales and I'll continue to be in sales the rest of my life. It's, I feel like it's an it's a MBA course almost every day. I totally agree with you. And also speaking of MBA courses and, and finance, and all, so I actually uh, had a startup. I raised about a million dollars in venture capital for, and I completely failed. Uh, worst fail- professional failure of my life. But the learnings that I have, I mean, I got an MBA, I got a, a finance degree, I got a law degree. I got so much uh, out of that. But I think as you said, that that MBA that we're go- we're getting every single day because we have to understand the real impact that we're having to a company and that's the best way that we can sell to them is critical. I want to hit on something you said but I want to I want to do it in the context of, you know, the the whole thing. So the, the the world of sales has changed quite a bit for you since you started, you know, 10 plus years ago and you did it in Asia Pack versus what we're doing today, especially with what you're selling today. So I I want to you can you can take this however you want but how did you open up uh, opportunities with new clients. So how did you break through the clutter uh, back in the day versus today? Back in the day, it was more of a numbers game. You know, you could be have success in sales by picking up the phone and making 100 calls or 150 calls. That activity would usually yield you results. Like if I'm just going to work very, very hard, even if I don't know all of the messaging, for example. And uh, so opening up new opportunities in Asia, I was going into the office at uh, 5 a.m. and covering Australia, covering Singapore at the same time. First one in the office, making cold calls all day. And that's what it really was. It was uh, some people would think it was like a factory almost. And uh, that's that's kind of 
when I where it was, but think about how much sales has changed just in in the last eight years. You have the, the rise of social selling, the rise of marketing automation platforms, all of these technologies that give you context about what your customer is doing, um, that allow you to be work to work smarter. So marrying working hard with working smart. In the beginning, it was just sheer effort all the time, trying to understand um, if you don't have these sales stories, leveraging sales stories of people that are around you that have done it before, watching what people who are successful do I think uh, have it, being at a brand name player in Asia uh, I think w- it was a great opportunity to start the career to get the education but also when you call someone uh, uh, from Oracle uh, back then they had cachet because every company every multinational corporation is invest was investing with them at the time it was was has some type of sort of IT investment there today uh, you have to be much sharper with your message you have to deliver value you can't just put the effort in you have to put the effort and have the execution and what I mean by that is you have to know your stuff the problems you solve uh, you have to understand uh, the customer what space they're in and did you read your did you read the annual report of the customer before you called did you know how you're connected to the person that you're reaching out to if they pick up the phone what what types of things are going to resonate with that person and all of this information there's so much data available i think people are overwhelmed with data but it's having a process that allows you to make sense of that data so you can reach out to the customer build rapport um you know that first uh, step touch uh, and then ultimately deliver your value statement how much research is too much right so is there a point though where we're spending as much so much time actually researching as opposed to actually doing the prospecting is there a balance there you have to spend a lot more time prospecting than you do researching. I think it's the, the concept of pay time versus no pay time. If you're showing up and, and you're doing research in the middle of the day or during peak call time, then y- you might have a problem there. There are there are times that are better to set yourself up. And at the end of the day, it's not about reading an annual report front to back. You can skim an annual report and pick out what those, those key words are that tell you uh, about initiatives or challenges. Um, I mean, every CEO is talking about that stuff. So being able to skim, skim an annual report takes five, 10 minutes. Uh, being able to leverage things, some of the tools that are out there that, that companies invest in to get a background of what's the direction of the company. Is it good? Is it bad? You can Google uh, and to find articles, to find recent events. And it's it's really, it's not about doing hours of research for your one outreach. It's about uh, doing smart outreach, taking five or 10 minutes so you sound like you know what you're talking about. And it's not about faking it till you make it, but it's about knowing enough and being knowledgeable enough so that you can build that first touch rapport and the customer invites you in. If you don't have that ability, you sound like everyone else and you're going to get delegated to who you sound like, which may be the the voicemail box. I like that, that you get delegated to who you sound like. That is fantastic. You talked about this concept of the annual report. I'm a big fan of that. Been a proponent of it for a while, reading the 10Ks, reading the annual reports, et cetera. As you do your, and that works for public companies, but as you're doing this research, give me an idea of, you know, specifically, what would you do today for a non-public company to set up that initial uh, outreach? The first thing I would do is look and say, is is there any is there anyone that I know that is connected to the people that I'm reaching out with? Because the referral business, warm referrals, warm introductions have a much higher yield than cold outreach. So that's probably one of the first things I would say. But in terms of the research process, uh, I would start with uh, Google articles, understand like the health of the business, um, has there been acquisitions those types of things. Uh, what else? I would say um, understanding what competitors are doing. So you can at least add value in that way. Understanding what what companies that you're serving today that are in that industry. So you can leave with some value statements around that. Uh, understanding 
uh, the dynamic. Are there are there new hires? Are there people? What what divisions are growing? Those types of things will allow you to sound smarter. Or maybe this maybe it's a big annual event, and you have a you have a value statement around that. That was something recently uh, that I reached out when I when I had a first call. It, I was on the call with the customer, and I, I googled, and they they saw that they had a major conference, and it, it allowed us to talk about how are you driving uh, attendance to that event? How are you getting more return on those assets post event? Um, are you live streaming these things? Are you able to take these these content that you're, your people are investing millions of dollars of these events? If you know that there's a price tag around that, you can start to understand if there's pain around that. And if there's pain around that, you can start to solve that pain. A few uh, weeks ago, I had Lauren Wadsworth uh, on the show back in episode 44, who I know is a customer of your guys's now, but she was able to break through the inbox by doing some of the techniques that you're using, but then also using your product. I don't want this to be a commercial for Vidyard, but talk to me about that concept of video and how you are using that on your own to break through the clutter of the inbox. Today, we use video all the time. We eat our dog food. And what's going on, what I mean by that is... Uh, it used to be email was was great when you couldn't reach someone on the phone. But now when when your buyers get 100 emails in a day, uh, it's very easy to hit the delete button. There's no um, there's no uh, you're not there, there's no like feeling of remorse when someone deletes your email. Sometimes it's spammy. Sometimes it's not researched. But using video, um, I mean, just putting video in a subject line is going to increase the open rates. And then when, uh, so what, with the video solution for sales, what we do is it's a way to record yourself uh, in an authentic way, um, you know, selfie style video or screen capture. So uh, you mentioned just a second ago, how do you, uh, you start with companies that are, that are private? Well, I might go to someone's LinkedIn page and say, hey, Jim Brown, good to, good, uh, good to connect with you. I'm writing you this video message because I saw that you handle X, Y, and Z and that you're interested in these things. We help A, B, and C. And that's, uh, I think, that process of outreach and video with context, it, it, it's, like a, it's like a purple cow. Seth, you ever heard of Seth Godin's purple cow book? Oh, for sure. Marketing? Yeah, so I think buyers aren't used to that. Only 6% of sales reps are using video. So if I send you an email uh, to your inbox and, and you, it says, Jim, I made you a video, and you open it and you see my ugly face with a whiteboard that says, hey, uh, something that's personal that I wrote on that whiteboard, hey, click here. Chances are you're going to have a hard time deleting that inbox just because of the effort. You're going to be curious to know what's on the other side of that line. So that's how our inside sales and our field sales staff is reaching out to cold prospects today. That's how they're creating that sense of trust and research when they're when they're reaching out as well. Um, if it's a private company, you can start using the company's LinkedIn page or the company's website. You can do a free website audit. I can. You're a private company. I go to your website and I can look and say, hey, you're a director of marketing. I saw that you're hosting your videos on YouTube. How are you understanding individually who's watching that video? That's that's a missed opportunity for you to get more leads. You're, you're missing lead capture there. Is this something you want to talk about? We can solve that problem. So so let's say that you do all that research because I, I, I'm tracking with you. I'm with you. Let's say you do all that research. You've identified the core problems of uh, that you know they have. You've identified the growth areas that they are have publicly stated that they're going after. And you reach out to someone and they just give you the brush off, right? Just no thanks. We're good. We've got a supplier. Um, you know, it's, it's not that big of a deal. How do you get that prospect to open up and really just take that first chance on you? I think it's just easy to say no. Um, I would say, 
Uh, it's a great question. I mean, yeah, everyone will always say you can never give up. I mean, the easiest way, if there's someone that doesn't want to talk to you, if they're complacent in their own job, if they're inundated, if they're too busy to do other things, chances are you're going to have a long sales cycle and a hard time selling. Even if you've done your research and have a value statement, happens all the time. But thankfully, if you're selling uh, solutions, you can you can add value to other people in the organization as well. You can start to surround yourself in the account and look for new people to sell to if it's not that, if that route's not open for you. I would say um, timing is everything, but uh, a lot of the buying process is happening online. Um, you, If someone's not uh, open to talk to you today, and no one's going to say yes on the first call, but if you can establish bonding and rapport um, some way and then deliver a steady stream of valued content in a way that's not automated. Hey, Jim, I, th I, th I thought of you. You mentioned that this was uh, a challenge for you while this blog post came up in my feed and I thought it was really interesting. Um, just showing that you're going the extra effort because buyers, their prospects, they're conditioned to lie to you. They're conditioned to say no. They're busy just like everyone else. And they're really trying to see if you're going to make the extra effort. In some ways, it becomes like dating. So you're saying it's almost a test just to see if uh, they, they should uh, keep you around. I don't know if that's always uh, if that's always the case for every prospect. Every deal is unique. But yeah, exactly. I think that uh, you're, you should be used to hearing no all the time. And I think uh, uh, um, the thing that I always put in my mind is you're going to get rejected. And also, um, don't let ever, anyone tell you no that doesn't have the authority to say yes. And Amen if, to that. Yeah. So if, if if someone tells you no in the organization, doesn't mean stop. Because guess what? Your competitors are going to be calling other people in the organization. And now it doesn't mean mass blast that person or call them 100 times after they told you no. That would also be awkward and creepy and just not right. It's like a, it's like a, these certain things you do in social settings, right? So uh, look, people are, are, are going to continue to reach out. Your competitors are going to continue to reach out. It's uh, find another way or make one. That's what it, that's what it comes down to. Mike, one of the things that you talked about was bonding rapport. And I would love to just better get your understanding of what that means today, especially in a world where we're doing less and less face-to-face -face selling and more and more online or on the phone uh, sales. Because the world is so digitally connected, there's actually a premium placed on analog outreach. Those little subtle things, uh, I think people don't do anymore. So yes, we're uh, we're doing face we're doing phone sales more than face to face, but that doesn't mean that uh, bonding report isn't important, right? So when I first started, uh, you know, having success in in Asia, it was go going to networking events and meeting people. It's like uh, you can just become friends with people by uh, having a conversation not about sales, just being interested in what they do and open to learn and curious, right? Everyone is doing the quick outreaches. Everyone's emailing those types of things. Uh, if you slow down and, uh, and and really try to build a relationship with somebody, uh, that's going to bode, that's going to, that's going to be uh, better for the long term than just trying to, what, what can I sell? What can I sell? What can I sell? And I think if, if you're really actually curious about what that person, who that person is, what they do, what their company does, what they're interested in their own life, and, and you can start to find commonalities, then you can start to build friendships. And, and then you're not talking about um, like a short-term objective. I want to sell to this company versus I want to build relationships that can carry me through my career. I think there's a big difference between the two. I heard a, a rep that donated money to um, basically, they donated money to one of their prospects' charities that they were on a board to, in order, and then said something like, uh, I, "I realize your time is valuable, so I, I made this contribution, and in, in hopes that you'll have a coffee with me." That's like 
a good way that's to, good. That's to good. break out the break out through the ice. Now, I'm not saying go start donating money to all of your prospects, charities, all those types of things, but it's how do you stand out above all of your peers that are also educated and qualified, just like you? How 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 do you how do you tell your story when someone asks you what you're about? How do you answer that question today? And then what questions do you ask people? If, if you just show up and talk about yourself, uh, uh, you're, you're like, and that's what most of us do in sales. They, they show up and say, here's my company. Here's what we do. It's a very uh, me, me, me conversation. You're never going to be able to build bonding rapport if you don't care enough about the outcomes of your customers. Prospects buy from us because they believe we can get to them to a place that they can't get to on their own. The point is you got to give yourself at bats. So put yourself out there. Be uncomfortable. Um, uh, hang out with people that are older than you. Hang out with people that are younger than you you take all of these data points in and and really be interested on on what the story is of the person that you're talking to and and how can you build a connection to that i really liked this idea of of the rep that donated to the, their prospect charity. And as you said, by no means can you start to do that with every single prospect you have. But again, the idea is to show them that you have researched them, to show them that you know them, to break through the clutter. So if you're trying to reach out to somebody and you have, cannot get them, but they're on your target list, that might be someone you throw $25, $50 at uh, and just forward them the receipt to say, hey, I know your time's busy and I did this for you. What's interesting to me is I'm thinking about creative ways to do that, even if I don't see on their LinkedIn or I don't see on their personal website what charities they're involved in or what causes they care about, just donating to something for them and forwarding that receipt onto them. And I'm thinking that could backfire and like, well, you know what? I really don't support. I'm so against that. To <laughs> me, I'm actually like, well, you can either have a meeting with me or I can keep making that donation on a monthly basis. Your call. <laughs> yeah, at the end of the day, uh, we're all we're all doing these efforts, but uh, it's also understanding the engagement. How was how were certain things received? And I think that's why I like video as well, because instead of getting an email notification that says Jim Brown opened my email, if I'm sending you video content and I can understand, did you watch 100% of it? That means you're interested, or did you just watch 5% and click out? That's I think that's important. That is important. And I really like that because I actually just recently, uh, I turned off all the email tracking. So I, I used to have like two or three different things that would track every email that I sent out. And I recently turned all of them off because people opening my emails means absolutely nothing. If I'm not getting the response, I might as well have not sent it. And so I don't care if you've opened my email 13 times. If you're not responding, I'm still doing something wrong. And so and I, I'm not telling, I'm not encouraging everyone to do that, but it's just something for me because I do, I do prospecting in such limited quantities because I don't need to do the volume stuff. It was just important to me to quit looking at a metric that wasn't relevant. The only thing that matters is, is if they reply. But I, I want to hit on something, Mike, that you talked about. Um, how do you balance that long-term vision? Because I like what you're going with that and I like it, but how do you balance that long-term vision with the need for short-term objectives, right? Like I have a number I have to hit this month, this quarter, this week. So how do you balance the two of those? I think that's, uh, that's part of the magic of sales, right? There's going to be stress. There's going to be pressure. And, uh, you know, coming into a new, a new company, for example, six months in, uh, you have to start with a, a process and a plan and thinking like a franchise owner of here's the activities that I'm doing that are meaningful. And here are the long-term goals I'm trying to, to get to. Here's how many calls I'm making. Here's how many emails I'm, 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 I'm sending. Here's how many networking events I'm going to. Here's how I'm leveraging my relationships. Here's how I'm executing campaigns. That's for the long-term of how I'm building a, a, a territory. I think there's always going to be um, the short-term 
long-term need for deals today. And uh, one of the sales leaders I used to work with said, hey, deals cure all. So I think that pressure uh, tends to subside when the whole company is doing well. I think it's a, it's a tough thing because uh, as, a, as a sales rep, that's you need to deliver revenue every quarter or you're not going to be there in the long term. So while it should be at the back of our minds, uh, at the end of the day, it, it, we, it, we have to be customer obsessed first. Not, I mean, and, and if you're customer obsessed first, the numbers tend to work themselves out if you do the activity. I felt like you were kind of like uh, beckoning the Philadelphia 76ers there and that we just need to trust the process. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, uh, I think uh, uh, you're not always going to nail it in the draft, right? You might, uh, you might uh, have Joel Embiid who, uh, who gets injured for a year. I and mean, that, that's a prospect that's going to come back, uh, maybe. Um, but I think that's... Uh, like, that's like, interesting, yeah. If you're, if you're doing everything that's in your control then you'll, you'll, you'll be fine. Um, I, typically, I don't know if that's what you see. No, I'm with you. So you've been doing this for 10 years, right? Well, more than 10 years now you've seen a lot. What do you think is the biggest thing that holds salespeople back from actually hitting their goals? Is it not trusting the process? What is it? I think they're afraid to, afraid to fail. So, I mean, what I mean by that is uh, uh, you, you can't lose what you don't have. I mean, I was eight years old. I was selling golf balls that I found in the woods on a golf course. That was my first job. We were so broke. I had seven kids in a trailer, right? And it's like, uh, I didn't, I, I had, I had no choice but to, uh, but to face rejection every day. And so uh, that sort of resiliency and thick skin um, really conditioned me for a career in sales because you uh, like I had a lot of personal adversity. And then, so when I got to the sales floor, being told no or being rejected, it was just, it was just like any other thing. Like I wasn't afraid to lose what I didn't have. Right. And if you're, if you, if you're not used to, to that sort of scenario, if you're afraid what people are going to think or what they're going to say or what I might do or I might offend someone, you could spend all day thinking about the minutia of that of, of those things. And at the end of the day, I think uh, most sales reps they they focus on what can go wrong instead of what can go right. They don't even give themselves a chance. And it's not even just in sales. It's, that, that's that's something that's a mindset that will hold you back in every part of your life. I love where you're going there. I think, you know, and you and I have talked about this in the past. I think we have a lot of things in common, but one of the things, Mike, that I know you can't do is you can't manufacture that adversity. So for those reps who haven't had to go through that, maybe they've had a, I don't even want to say a privileged life, but, but they haven't had to deal with, with some of the bigger stuff uh, in, in life that others have. How do you get them to overcome that? And how do you get them to see the, uh, the, the, the long-term version? I think what it comes down to is it's, how comfortable are you with being uncomfortable? So if you're fresh out on the sales floor and you, you went to uh, a great school and you went to a, um, you grew up in a great town which allowed you to go to that great school and you grew up with resources and people, that's great. That's awesome. Good for you. Now, what are you going to do with that? I think it was Thoreau who said, Henry David Thoreau who said every, or maybe it was Ralph Waldo Emerson who said, uh, every man is my superior and thus I learn of them. It's like uh, you could you could create the uh, idea of humbling yourself to the beginning and and then seeing things through till the end uh, in your in your life and then see what happens from that. So maybe it's picking up some sort of new skill. Maybe it's joining a club. Uh, maybe it's uh, it's could be something like that. Uh, I would say uh, getting comfortable with being un- with, with being uncomfortable is going to be important. And I think that's that's what it comes down to. So. I really like this idea of humbling yourself. And honestly, I'm taking in some of that into myself right now, just from my own level of, I, I, I've kind of gotten comfortable in the last couple of years and I haven't put myself in enough situations where I truly have felt vulnerable or, or the need to, uh, to fit in. 
And I, I, you know, even looking at a grander scale, looking at what's going on in society right now, I think that we could all do ourselves a little bit of a favor by putting ourselves in that situation where we are uncomfortable so that we can have the empathy of whether it's our buyer or just people who aren't the same as us. I think there's, there's something important to there in, in, in talking about being humble, Mike, you shared with me previously a story of, uh, when you kind of got a little too cocky, you went the other way with that. Uh, and it was, uh, with, with some lack of preparation. Can you share that story about, uh, the, the success that you were having at Oracle and, and what that led to? When I joined Oracle, I, my career skyrocketed after six months as a BDR, I was part of the first inside sales team after we acquired Sun and I quickly moved to sales. So I was pretty much 23 years old as a field sales in Asia Pacific, very young, probably the youngest in the history and not taking into consideration at the time you're on a tip of a rocket ship, that there's all these other factors. You just think that, Hey, it's me. I'm the next, I'm the next big thing. And, uh, it tends to happen when you're young. So, um, I started thinking about other opportunities and jobs and looking on the market. And one of my friends uh, was actually uh, high up at Amazon and he said, Hey, come join us. And I think uh, it was a great opportunity and uh, it would have been a great opportunity. But at the end of the day, I showed up, I was unprepared for the interview. I thought like, this was a no brainer. Uh, this is going to be handed to me. I know, I know the guy and he, he set me up with a meeting with his boss and I failed to prepare like I would in, in a normal sales call. I, I didn't I didn't take it as seriously as I should have. And at the end of the day, that was a humbling experience because that guy who was interviewing me told me exactly what I needed to hear. That happens, but now I learned uh, <laughs> uh, that you don't you don't ever take anything for granted. And I think that's that's an important lesson. Um, no matter when things start going well, you got to remember what it's like when things were bad because that feeling that's what caused you to to get to where you are. And uh, I think that uh, in that situation, I guess, got too cocky and it cost me a, a really awesome opportunity. I think it's those moments of, of humbleness that truly do start to define our character, right? Because if we just look at people's successes, all of us can thrive when things are going great. But when you look at when someone got knocked down a level, that's when you truly start to see who who they really are. I appreciate you sharing that, Mike. Hey, we're going to take a quick break so that I can say thanks to our sponsors. When we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away. And Sales Tuners, you don't go away either. We'll be right back. Sales Tuners, I want to tell you about Costello, a new product I've been exploring for discovery calls. One of the things I hear most from VPs of sales is their frustration with the lack of consistency and transparency from their reps in the discovery process. If that's you, you need to check out Costello. Costello guides reps to ask the right questions, provides them with dynamic suggestions, automatically updates Salesforce, and even makes it easy to form the habits that ultimately close more deals. For a demo, head to andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. Mike, are you ready for the money round? I am ready. Show me the money. I'm Jerry <laughs> Maguire ready. I love it. Here we go. Mike, what's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Being coachable and uh, being able to overcome adversity. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? Listening more. <laughs> Two-part question for you here. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose? I hate to lose describes me best. Uh, growing up uh, like broke and, and whatnot, I always had a giant chip on my shoulder. What's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? The Richest Man in Babylon. It's a bunch of parables about 
financial, simple stories, 150 pages about financial management. Think about it. They don't teach financial management in, in schools and in high school. And every, we have a lot of people who are going into a lot of debt. Uh, I think this is a book to have uh, simple things that you can do um, told in the form of stories that will allow you to have better financial control in your life, which, in, which I believe will lead to um, a, a more fulfilling life that allows you to have your time back to do more meaningful things. Sales tuners, if you'd like to check out Mike's suggestion of The Richest Man in Babylon for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book, and there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. Mike, what's something that you believe that nearly no one agrees with you on? Take risks. It's better to start with nothing and to build something yourself than to have things handed to you and take risks along the way that are calculated. A lot of people play it safe. Mike, what's the biggest piece of advice that you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Stay hungry. Uh, surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. Be a sponge. Listen more than you talk. And be authentic. Be in the moment and be present. I'm going to get you out of here on this one. How could someone find you or connect with you after the show if they wanted to? Connect with me on LinkedIn, Mike Julian Vidyard, if you search that. On Twitter, at Mikey Julian, M-I-K-E-Y, Julian. Or reach out to me at mike.julian at vidyard.com. And I'd be happy to connect with anyone to talk about any of these things. Mike, this is awesome. I appreciate it. We have got to find a time to connect and play Monopoly together. But I really appreciate your time today. Really appreciate it, Jim. Really enjoyed doing this and uh, pr appreciate everything. <laughs> I felt a lot of similarity to Mike as he told his story, and while I've yet to make it to anywhere in Asia, his background and the notion of having no other choice but to face rejection was a direct parallel to my life. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, effort plus execution plus empathy. It used to be a numbers game. You put in the work, you made your calls, you sent your emails, and it produced results. Then everyone started doing it at scale. Today, you have to not only put in the effort, but also apply strategic execution and have empathy for your buyer. Have you done your homework? Do you understand the real challenges they're having? Do you actually care? Prospects buy from us because they believe we can get them to a place they can't get to on their own. Number two, you can't lose what you don't have. Far too many reps focus their energy on everything that could go wrong instead of what might go right. Very similar to Mike's story, I didn't come from much. So knowing that I've done without before and been fine, I have a different perspective on the world. I'm willing to take risks that others may not because I don't have a false sense of security holding me in place. And number three, short-term thinking versus long-term thinking. It's the difference between I want to sell to this company today versus I want to build a relationship that may carry me throughout my career. Yes, I know you have a number to hit this week, this month, and this quarter, but if you put in the work today to build a solid pipeline, you can give yourself the freedom to build lasting value with your prospects. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay there. And they stay there. How much wood 
would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood?